0: Final days in Japan are upon us, Paul, at least for me. You're not in Japan. Of course, you're in Toronto. But final days and just getting uh, wrapped up here and kind of feeling a little melancholy, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I suppose this is the end of an era for you. You've been there, what, three years, am
0: I correct? Yep, it's just over three years. Came in March 2017. No, sorry, April 2017. And uh, yes, wrapping it up here wrapping it up
1: yeah down to your final week i guess you must have mixed emotions wanting to come home yet at the same time knowing that your japan experiences are coming to an end and i know you've had incredible adventures and in thousands upon thousands of pictures i I see your (laughs) facebook posts and and i i know you have a, a large following of fans or right a lot of people interested in in your japanese adventures and uh, other parts of the world so uh, yeah i can imagine it's a lot of mixed emotions right now
0: it is and i I'm, i mean i am looking forward to going back i i just wish it was a in a, a little bit more of a normal environment with with covid it's just um the return home is a little bit different than it would have been had it had that not been a, the case but hey we're all in this together
1: yeah absolutely and and the fact that you are literally halfway across the world, and we are all talking about COVID truly means that the world is in it together. Um, but you're right, I'm sure the last three months or so has been a bit weird for you. I guess wrapping up your time in Japan, having to deal with with uh, the whole COVID situation, and, and obviously health concerns about health and safety, and... and Obviously, with businesses shutting down, um, things are hopefully starting to return to normal, at least certainly here in Canada. I can't really say that for the U.S. right now, but neither of us are planning any trips to the U.S., I would imagine.
0: No, and it is definitely sounding very messed up down there. The news is not encouraging, and I do try to get a broad spectrum of news sources. I look at BBC, I look at Fox, I look at CNN, I look at others and it's really tough to not see the u.s as in some really dire situation especially california california is spiking massively there and they were kind of at one point sort of almost like a golden child of the u.s they were doing everything right i guess in the beginning and now they it's looking very very bad there
1: yeah absolutely and places like Florida and Arizona have been greatly affected. Uh, Texas. Yeah, the southern
0: states, right? The southern states, they say, have yeah. really lifted and and the restrictions, and they're pointing to a direct correlation between the restrictions being lifted and the, the the spiking cases, from what I see.
1: And being a baseball fan, kind of being keeping my eyes open on what's been going on with the return of Major League Baseball, uh, most Obviously, major league baseball teams have their training camps in Florida and Arizona, where the the COVID hotspots are. Um, so there there are a lot of teams are running through some issues right now with being able to reopen their camps when a lot of players and and team personnel are now coming back being tested positive for COVID. Um, both of us being avid Toronto Blue Jay fans, uh, I read in the news. The other day, that a couple of Blue Jay players have been tested positive for COVID. Players
0: so. or staff or both? They players. didn't get into specific. I don't yeah, think they went was too players. specifically. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's no names, but players for, for sure were were involved. So, hmm.
0: yeah, I'm not so optimistic that I actually think there's a there's a good chance they will not get it going. I think there's there's a good chance that is despite what they're saying that they're going to start it on July 1st or ju- sorry July 24th. Yeah. I I would say the next couple weeks are going to be very telling if they start getting more cases across teams. I think the chances of it starting are are actually pretty pretty low.
1: I would tend to agree with you on that. I think it is a bit worrisome, and I despite you know their best ef- best efforts to want to Open up and, and start the season in well less than a month's time, a lot can happen in a month. And yes. I have a I have a bad feeling that this uh, this could rear its ugly head. But well, I wanted to circle I wanted to circle back to Japan. I know. Uh, yeah, we talked about how you're you're finishing up your last days in Japan, and you had mentioned to me that you had gone on a on a trip for a couple of days to uh, Hiroshima. That really piqued my interest, and uh, you had mentioned that it's a beautiful place. Uh, did you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, I do. And um, it's good because uh, I want to get off the COVID topic. We've kind of promised not to be too to, to talk about it too much. People are just we have, yeah overdone on it. And uh, yeah, Hiroshima, obviously made famous by, well, where the first atomic bomb was detonated in World War II. So it, when people hear the words Hiroshima, I believe that's probably the first thing that comes to mind for most people.
1: Yeah, it does for me. You you think of
0: the bomb. (laughs) So, August 6th, 1945 at 8.15am. Actually, it's 8.15 and 17 seconds. It's etched into my brain, believe it or not. Um, I went... This was... Hiroshima was the one place that we wanted to get to that we had not yet seen in Japan. And... Be, with COVID, the ability to travel was extremely restrictive up until about two, three weeks ago. We felt that it would be important for us as a family to go to Hiroshima um, for the for most of the reasons of the historical aspects of it. But also, I had been hearing a lot about how beautiful a city it was. And so, we went out there uh, earlier this week and i I must it it lived up to all of the expectations that I was um, anticipating and had heard about, and then some. so i I really found the trip quite moving. Um, the Peace Museum, which is we had been told a few times by people that this could be a difficult place to go. So they have two major tributes to the Bombing number one is the museum that they built there the Peace Memorial Museum and the second thing is what's was known as the atomic dome which is a building that um, survived the bombing in in that uh, it's called the atomic dome it's um, it it was directly above where the bomb detonated. Most of the building remained intact, and we'll, I'll include a link this, to this in the show notes with the pictures of this, but everyone in the building was was killed instantly, but much of the original structure remained, and we went outside of this dome to look at the, just to see it, and, and it was gated off, you can't go into it, it's, it's like in the middle of a park, and then it's just sitting there, and it was so weird to to just stand outside this dome, and, and I had read that the, the bomb detonated 600 meters above this dome. I kept looking up in the sky, you know? I kept looking up there and imagining this frickin' atom bomb going off and then just boom, you know? It was weird. I thought about I thought about that a few times over the three days that we were there, just how just how shocking that whole thing must have been. And back then, the news would have been you know minimal in terms of what people would actually know. I mean, it was a surprise attack to some degree. Um, and I don't want to get too much into the history of it, but not like today where you would probably have some sense there was something coming. But back then, people, some people probably couldn't even read, and some people just didn't pay that much attention. Um, but just to have that sudden terror drop upon the city would just be unreal. So, it was a very good trip. Um, and and everything about Hiroshima being beautiful was true. It was incredible landscape there. The, there's a beautiful uh, island, well, several islands in in the area that we we went to visit one of them and with the tourists now of course being uh, minimal at this time it was uh very there weren't a lot of people so it was nice to be able to go there without having tons of tourists around so overall a really great trip and left me um, with a very good memory of Hiroshima
1: Oh, that's 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 great to hear. I'm just taking a look at, um, I guess on Google Maps here, Atomic Bomb Dome, and I, I see what you mean. It is quite a remarkable picture that I'm looking at here. It's basically a shell of a building, mm-hmm. and it's obviously surrounded by modern office buildings. You know, we're in yes. a, a modern city now. Mostly
0: everything was obliterated other than that and a couple of structures. So, yeah, everything yeah. around it is is was reconstructed after.
1: <clears throat> exactly, yeah. So it would be a fairly modern city. But, yeah, it's so eerie looking at these photos of this, uh, this bomb dome. It is quite remarkable the fact that this really was the only remaining structure. And it looks to be almost in, in good condition considering the absolute mayhem which would have occurred that particular day. Yep. Um So yeah, I, I could I can only imagine just an incredible experience and very humbling experience to to take a look at this. Um, it it was.
0: It,
1: and the reason know, and, the, and the
0: structure stayed intact was because the bomb apparently detonated right above. So mm-hmm. I guess the wave kind of came down in a way that just shielded shielded it to some degree, almost like a bit of an like an umbrella maybe. It still yeah. killed everyone inside, and as you can see from the picture, it still caused damage. But yeah. um, that was the re- main reason they said that it stayed intact, was just because of it was directly above.
1: You had mentioned also, I guess, prior to going to Hiroshima, knowing that it was going to be something that would be obviously emotional due to you know the incredible loss of human life and... and You know, obviously playing a a large, uh, a crucial part of the end of World War II. I suppose my only experience in dealing or, or I guess, witnessing, um, I guess, a historical uh, place of significance like this would be the 9-11 memorial in New York City.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm.
1: Although it can be very difficult and, and, uh, again, a humbling experience to go through some of these museums and, and monuments it is an incredible learning experience and we've talked in the past about um, I guess learning m- moments of um, moments of teachable moments within within history and history can be very violent and controversial and and uh, a lot of death and destruction but it's important to to go to some of these monuments and and learn about the destruction that we as human beings are are capable of. Um, I know for myself, the the 9-11 memorial in in New York City was was an incredible experience. And it's so thought-provoking. For the rest of the day, or for days afterwards, you you can't stop thinking about it. Yes. So I would imagine that would be the same for you with with Hiroshima. And I suppose, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but coming from North America, we're used to our history books are written from, I guess, the the American standpoint or or, or the victors. Yes, I, I'd be interested to know how the history is portrayed in Japan. In that, uh, how do they view the bomb? And that was it American aggression. Um, what, is, what is their take on it? Because being in North America, we only hear about the U.S. did it to justify the end of World War II, which I'm assuming that there is a obviously a valid argument for that. That's something for historians to debate. But I'm, I'm curious as to how the Japanese uh, portrayed that, that part of history. What, what, is, what is their view on it?
0: Well, so Hiroshima was in the aftermath and the way they've treated this whole peace museum and the atomic dome has been very much a one of we let's let's make it so that this never happens again. Uh-huh. And they do there's a heavy theme in the in throughout the museum and in general around how this was the very first time atomic weapons were used in a war. And let this be the last time it happens. So, a reconciliation, a move forward, and I mean, they, du- they dub the, or the name of the museum is the Peace Memorial, Hiroshima Peace Memorial. So, the focus is heavily on peace and not blame or as much of a focus on this was done to us the f- the theme, at least from an English person's perspective, from what I could tell and what I've heard from others, is mostly around, let's move forward and not have this ever happen again. And it's that's, that's
1: great that the museum has taken that viewpoint. I've been to museums, primarily in the U.S., and, and not to say anything about the U.S., it's obviously up to the individual museum, but I have been to museums where it has a very pro-American viewpoint on things. And perhaps that's something that we're just kinda used to seeing.
0: Well, hold on a sec though, because Japan does that very well also. So Okay.
1: All right. Well, explain.
0: <laughs> yeah, so in this case it is very much a, a move forward and, and it's about reconciling and about peace, but there are different differing perspectives on other things that occurred during the war um or other historical things that happened in by the japanese and how the story is told by the japanese versus how it's told by sorry versus how it's told by say the chinese where there was quite a bit of aggression against the chinese um in particular in nanking or nanjing where um This was the Nanjing Massacre, um, where the the account of how many people were killed in that massacre differs greatly between when you hear the Japanese perspective versus the Chinese perspective. The Chinese claim, I think, like 300,000 people were massacred there, and the Japanese have a different number. My wife went to uh, a museum here. It was like a war museum, and she said it was interesting to see the the way the story was told, it was definitely from a pro Japanese perspective. So this is probably common in a way that these museums are told from the perspective of the country. And um, I figure the truth is somewhere in the middle.
1: Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. Um, As mentioned before, history is often told from the eyes of the victor. Yes. And, we often see it from the U.S. perspective, and a lot of Hollywood films are portray the Japanese as, as evil and in the villains. Uh, I think a couple months ago, I recently watched the movie uh, Midway, which is about the the Battle of the Midway in, in the Pacific. It was mm-hmm. a great movie. Yeah. Um, when was that if made? Eh, maybe two years ago, a year ago. Was, it's it's fairly recent movie. It was it was a good movie but just getting back to the point where yeah Vic, history is is told from the eyes of of the, the victor and again hollywood movies they love to make the, the germans out to be the villains and the japanese out to be the villains i was just curious if being in japan how how they view things obviously they're not going to view themselves as the villains i'm just uh, it's just an interesting Thought as to how history is portrayed from from their side, yeah, and, or how it may be, how it may be portrayed if you were to go to Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yes. that's the interesting thing about history. It's that uh, there's a lot of moving parts to it, and and a lot of differing opinions as to what really happened. But so, yeah, that's that's a fascinating story. So that's that's great that you did that trip.
0: I'm going to share one final thing, and that is that. One decision we made was whether or not to take the kids through the museum. Uh, we had heard from another couple that live here there one's a, it's an Australian and a Canadian actually a couple. And she was describing to us going through the museum and how just heartbreaking it was. and we were she said, "I don't think I would bring my children through it." and so we had to make that decision. Do we bring the kids in? So our kids are 11 and 9 and um we decided to bring them in. We did it with with some prep. We told them this is a horrible situation that happened a long time ago, not that long ago, but it happened and you will see some things that may be very disturbing. We just kind of checked in with them on that as we were going through it. So as we there were different parts of the museum where they show Kind of Hiroshima before the war, then they have an exhibit where they show a visual of it's like a computer graphic of the video of the bomb When it went off, they show like a it's very well done. It's like a it's like a map you walk up to and it's it's on a projection on the ground. And they show like life bustling away in Hiroshima, like before the bomb goes off. And then they show like a timeline comes up saying like 830 or sorry, 745 a.m. in Hiroshima. And they show like a streetcar going across some tracks. They show some people and it's like this big map. So it's like an overview you're looking at, kind of like from a bird's eye view. And then they show the timing, 8.15, and then they show the bomb, a visual of the thing spinning in the air above, and then they show the waves just go across and just how it just completely desolates everything. Very well done. Um, And then you start moving into areas of the the museum where there's a lot of visuals of of the effects the, the bomb had on people. There's a whole exhibit around the personal belongings of people that were recovered, including a lot of children's things. So we just said to the kids, if there's any point where you want to back out of here or stop, let us know. And they, were, they, they went through the whole thing. They were pretty good. I don't mean pretty good. and I just mean they were respectful of it, and they were able to get through it. And I think it was a very important thing for them to see.
1: Yeah, I think you made the right call there. Um, I think they're, they're old enough to, to understand it. And I think what they probably learned from that trip is more than what they would ever learn
0: in a classroom. Agreed. There's no substitute for seeing it with your own eyes. Agreed. Okay, on to weird news. This I don't know if this really qualifies as weird news, but have you ever heard of Joey Chestnut? Uh, yes,
1: yeah. The, are we talking about the uh, hot dog eating contest? That's right. Yes, the Fourth of July. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Go Joey
0: on. Joey Chestnut, he is uh, he's actually considered the top rated competitor in Major League Eating. So I guess this is the MLE, but specifically this uh, this contest. So he's the reigning champion. For the Nathan's Famous 4th of July International Hot Dog Eating Contest, which, unfortunately, due to COVID-19, it's going to be modified. The rules are going to be modified. The venue is going to be modified, just like all the other professional sports out there. Unfortunately, Joey Chestnut is going to be forced to compete indoors instead of outdoors. And there will be an air-conditioned venue. So this article here, it's titled "Joey Chestnut, COVID nineteen changes to hot dog contest: a trade off." So the gist of it really is that um, while he's happy that he's going to be able to compete, he's a little bit um, yeah, he's not too happy with the fact that it's going to now there won't be a live audience particip- uh, watching Joey Chestnut compete. He's uh, Joey's a thirty, he's thirty six, he's the twelve time champion of the hot dog eating contest and that um, he sees potential positives and negatives to these new measures that they've put in force um, as a result of COVID-19. He says the largest drawback to the changes is the lack of a live crowd. He also has some concerns around the fact that because the hot dogs are going to be in a in an air-conditioned environment, they're going to be a little colder than they would normally be and that that might affect his ability to uh, ingest them as quickly as he might have in previous contests.
1: Question for you: Have you ever actually watched one of those hot dog eating contests?
0: Yeah, they're a horrible, just disgusting uh, display of awfulness.
1: Exactly. I think anyone who thinks that eating a hot dog eating contest is where you uh, sitting down at a picnic table, uh, being um, you know very what's the word, Uh, neat and tidy, eating nice little tray of hot dogs in front of you, that that does not exist. Um, Last year, I went to Cincinnati for a weekend to watch a Cincinnati Reds game. And post game, they actually had, believe it or not, one of the, the Quote unquote, qualifying tournaments for that very 4th of July hot dog eating contest. So you have to qualify for this. This is a big deal in the States. Yeah,
0: yeah, I could see that. And
1: they had about maybe eight or nine people that had entered this contest and they they had them out on the field. And I think it was, I think it was given 10 minutes to eat as many hot dogs as you could within 10 minutes. And watching it, it's it's disgusting because they're, you're literally having to wash it down with water to get the hot dogs down your throat. Mm-hmm. But it turns into sort of like a paste or something because yeah. the, the water is in the buns and it's just, it was really disgusting. Like you're watching it thinking, first of all, how is this enjoyment? And I'm repulsed by this. This does not even make me want to eat a hot dog. So how could this be an advertisement for a hot dog company when you're watching this display of of greed and just uh, gluttony this obscenity gluttony? Oh, all sorts of words come to mind when I just when I recall this horrific sight that I saw.
0: That is really um, interesting that you say that because you're right. If it's Nathan's hot dogs, they're actually associating themselves with this contest, and it's anything but appealing or attractive in terms of. Yeah, I want to go eat hot dogs after I watch this contest. So it is a little bit bizarre.
1: Exactly, it, it is a weird association that Nathan's would would promote. There, there's so many other ways in which you could promote your your hot dog products, but it, it's very much a, a maybe a U.S. thing. They they really go in for a lot of these these food eating contests and yeah. Um, I'm assuming. Well, obviously, it's something that is is a staple of county fairs. But to to make this hot dog eating contest into almost a professional sport, yep. and the fact that it gets gets full time, um, like prime media coverage in the states whenever it this does. event happens, it actually
0: goes on ESPN. Exactly.
1: Yeah. 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 Every Fourth of July, I recall every. Yeah, around this time of year, you keep hearing about this hot dog eating contest and every single time I watch it, I'm just as repulsed as I was the year prior.
0: Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, it's like sports because uh, so in, in this article, he talks about his usual strategy, he says that uh, Chestnut says he doesn't expect to deviate much from his usual strategy, eating two hot dogs at a time, followed by two buns one at a time. So he actually eats the the wiener two, like, puts two in at a time and then eats, eats, the, eats the two buns, but he eats those one at a time. So he actually doesn't eat the hot dog inside of the bun. So I guess that's allowed in the, in the rules of the contest.
1: Well, you're really not eating the product for enjoyment in any way. You're just not – I wouldn't even describe it as eating. You're just cramming stuff down your throat just to win a contest. Well, when I eat a hot dog, I want to enjoy it and have my mustard and ketchup and relish on it, make it tasty, but this is just plain boiled hot dogs that you're just ramming down your throat from with your palm, and it's just, it's 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 a weird thing to watch and not not very appealing.
0: Here's a question for you. How many hot dogs do you think this guy typically eats in his first minute of the contest? How many hot dogs do you mm. think he eats in the first minute?
1: That's a good one. Uh huh, This is well, you say he eats two hot dogs at a time. So within a minute? would maybe twenty? Twenty-five? Actually it's fourteen. Okay. All right. Alright, yeah, I guess that would make more sense. Yeah, fourteen.
0: He says here, my my first minute this is his strategy he's talking about. He says, My first minute should be about fourteen hot dogs, and then the second minute should be eleven or twelve. I start having goals really, really quick. He says there's a danger in setting his goals too high and too early in the contest. Any more than 14 hot dogs in the first minute, that probably means I'm swallowing huge chunks of meat and then it's not going to feel right later. It's going to slow me down. (laughs) I guess by later he means in the contest and not like three hours afterwards when he's sitting on the toilet.
1: (laughs) Not going to feel right? Wow. Uh, okay. I, I think by virtue of the fact that you're eating at the end of the contest, God knows how many hot dogs. Let's say he eats. Uh, how many total hot dogs would he eat? Like 40, 50? Like, but what's, the, what's, what's the winning number to, to win this contest? Does it mention that?
0: Okay. So it says here, Chestnut broke the world record at the 2018 Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Contest, finishing 74 hot dogs and buns in the 10-minute time limit.
1: Wow. 74 hot dogs. I think, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, and as he said, I don't feel right. I think 74 hot dogs, I think that's your first problem right there.
0: <laughs> well, I see what they mean by him being a major league eater because he's also, he's also got records in other contests for pizza, carnitas tacos, boysenberry pie ice cream sandwiches, hard-boiled eggs, and buffalo wings. Wow. Huh. In February, he set a world record by eating 32 McDonald's Big Macs in 38 minutes.
1: What does this guy look like? Is he is he a big guy or is he normal size?
0: He's not. He's not a big guy. I think he's actually kind of just an average sort of physique. So that's, again, yeah. the sort of... Um, that's the yeah, it's, the, it's, the mystique around this, or the the interesting thing is that they are not like overweight, like big men. Um, that one of the other major contest winners is the Japanese guy Kobayashi, I think is his name. He's he's a really thin Japanese guy, and he's also been known for he's he's one of the top contenders in the Nathan, in hot dog eating contest. So nothing to do about physique.
1: Yeah, because I I recall sort of observing that in the past, where a lot of times you would think that it would be a big, heavy person that would win a contest like this, and very often it is not. I recall that when I had witnessed this uh, spectacle last year back in Cincinnati, I I believe the person who had won the contest was a very average-looking person. He wasn't fat by any means. So maybe it is really technique. Do people? How how do you train for this?
0: I guess there's a method. Good luck to Joey Chestnut. I guess by the time we ap- pose this episode, we'll know who the winner was.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll have to uh, keep our listeners updated on that because I'm I'm sure they're sitting on the other edges of their seats, wondering if Joey Chestnut is going to win in 2020.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we got to run. Uh, looking forward to our next episode. And uh, yeah, until then.
1: Okay. Take care.